Welcome to the JetRails podcast, supporting you through the airwaves with information about website and e-commerce technology and strategies from design and development to security, marketing, conversion rate optimization, and web hosting. We bring you insights from industry leaders and experts hosted, edited, and published by me, Robert Rand, your friendly neighborhood tech ambassador. Hi, and welcome to an episode of the JetRails podcast. I'm Robert, your host, and today we're going to be talking about creating a data-driven culture within your e-commerce business. It sounds simple, <laughs> it sounds obvious, but it's actually, as many will, will attest to in the industry, it's a challenge to really get the right footing um, around collecting, storing, you know, analyzing your, your data, actually putting it to good use. And uh, we've got a great guest with us today. We've got Nick from the DOS42 team, um, who's really built up a powerhouse worth of knowledge on the subject. So with no further ado, Nick, would you do the honor of introducing yourself? Yeah, absolutely, Robert. Thanks for having me. So everyone, I'm Nick Amabile. I'm the CEO over at DOS42. Uh, DOS42 is a boutique data and analytics consulting firm. And as Robert mentioned, uh, we have a lot of experience working with e-commerce companies, implementing uh, data platforms, data programs uh, broadly at e-commerce companies. My personal background is actually in e-commerce as well. So uh, most recently before uh, DOS42, I was the head of business intelligence at Jet.com. And prior to that, was in senior analytics roles at Etsy. So a lot of personal experience uh, as a practitioner uh, in the e-commerce space uh, in terms of data analytics. But then now, of course, uh, at DOS42, we consult for very large e-commerce companies as well as you know, startups and direct-to-consumer uh, companies as well. So a breadth of experience and really excited to be here. So thanks for having me, Robert. Oh, th thanks for joining today. And I have to ask before I, I go any further about the <laughs> company name, because I hear DOS and it's spelled D-A-S, not like the operating system DOS. Yep. And as soon as I see D-A-S, I start thinking about DOS boat, you know, and I'm, I, I yes. have German in my head and uh, I'm thinking about submarine warfare and all sorts of things. How did the company get its name? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a funny story. So uh, I didn't found DOS 42. Uh, I took it over from a, a guy named Lucas. Um, the original corporate name uh, was Data Analytic Services LLC. So that was, uh, you know, just an acronym DAS stands for Data Analytic Services. Coincidentally, though, uh, Lucas is actually German. Uh, so, you know, I think people who, who know Lucas and the history of DOS 42, you know, do get it confused. Um, and of course, 42 is the, you know, answer to life, the universe and everything. So Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy reference there, which is, uh, you know, a good one for, you know, us nerds and programmers out there. So <laughs> all those hoopy fruits out there listening. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that's pretty. Uh, that's got to be one of the best business names that we've had on the podcast. <laughs> and we're getting we're inching closer to 100 yeah. episodes. So. Uh, that's a pretty good accolade. <laughs> well, I, I got I got to say, I mean, the uh, the corporate, you know, the 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 dot com is available. It's short, it's punchy. Uh, everyone kind of remembers it. It sticks out in folks' minds. And of course, the um, uh, the, the the puns and the play on words just keep coming. Like our training program, for example, is called DOS Bootcamp, of course. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> fantastic. Uh, well, I, I'm gonna dive in on some of your background because you know when I hear companies like. Etsy and Jet, I imagine that your time there imprinted a lot on you. Um, fast <laughs> growth, a lot of data to crunch, um, a, a lot of things just buzzing around. You know, usually I find that, that folks that spend enough time in those big companies, they wind up with some, some key takeaways about, you know, th things in this case, you know, leveraging e-commerce data. What did you find that really that those companies understood or that you you figured out there that 
others should be aware of, that others should be leveraging um, and, and just might not be? Yeah, it's a really good question. I mean, you know, I learned so much from both of those two experiences, you know, worked with a really uh, great team, smart people. Uh, so I can't say that, you know, I, I, I sort of figured everything out there. But what I will say is, um, you know, I've spent a lot of a lot of my career kind of banging my head against uh, the wall and a lot of common challenges that we see uh, our clients face at DOS42. You know, for example, having uh, different uh, numbers for the same metrics. So in other words, you know, back when I was at Etsy, you would ask maybe 10 different people what, you know, uh, merchandise sales were or sort of how many orders we had yesterday, you would get 10 different answers, right? And um, we had an internal business intelligence tool there that you would log into and you might search for conversion rate, right? Super key metric for e-commerce companies. You would search in this tool and there'd be like 50 different uh, conversion rate reports and some of them would be broken. Some of them, you don't know who wrote them. Maybe they're no longer at the company and all this kind of stuff. So this is a challenge that I think uh, is pervasive across a lot of companies. You know, the other thing I'll say at um, at Jet, you know, I started there um, between the Series A and the Series B. I think even at that point, there were probably 500 people when I started. And when I left, there were over 1,000 people. So tons of fast growth. Um, and when I got there, everyone was still really into spreadsheets, you know, and this is common again. Like, this is, I mean, it's a common problem we see with our customers at DOS42 is that um, folks try to do a ton of stuff in Excel. Uh, Excel's great. I mean, I love Excel. I've used it a ton. I still use it today. But, you know, there's a lot of issues with information retrieval. You know, folks would go to different portals, different tools and download data, munge it in Excel. It's very error prone, right? And it's not very reproducible. It's not very transparent. Um, So creating a culture of data, you know, we kind of have to solve some of these challenges. We have to still let folks get access to data really easily. So, uh, you know, kind of that that downloading of of, uh, data from different portals, that's easy for them. Uh, so we have to make it very easy for them to use data, uh, but it has to be governed, it has to be trusted, and it has to be standardized, right? So that you don't have 10 different reports with 10 different numbers for conversion rate, for example. So those are some of the challenges that you know I face and that we see some of our customers face. And that's really you know why I started uh, consulting was to try to bring some of the lessons that I had learned uh, in those experiences um, and come out and try to help other folks solve the same problems. Yeah, you know, with that in mind, I... I find that one of the other challenges that really fits in with that is when that key person that's running those custom reports and ripping it apart in Excel is unavailable, whether they, you know, they move on for better or worse or, uh, or, or they're on vacation or something else. It's, it's, not, <laughs> it's not easy. It's not reproducible. Um, you're, you're not able to... And in terms of, of having perhaps that chain of thought, you know, to be able to compare like numbers um, in order to to really watch for trends, if you're not able to have that fluid uh, visual on it to be able to see, okay, you know, this time last year it was this and this time this year. And it's got to be apples to apples. Um, Because otherwise, (laughs) you could just pull the report slightly differently. And um, and next thing you know, you have such a different picture. You know, with that in mind, I know that one of the challenges here is figuring out, you know, who are the key people that need access to the data to be able to pull the data, manipulate the data. Yep. In your opinion, should it be the IT leadership within an e-commerce business that's spearheading data and analytics? Or should someone else in the organization uh, be, whether it's a stakeholder um, or, or the owner of that, or should it be multiple owners? Should everybody just be able to pull the same data whenever they want, however they want? Yeah, it's, it's a really good question. I mean, you know, one of the things that we've seen, you know, both in my career and at DOS42 is that 
Um, oftentimes, projects, data projects, do fail because they start with an IT lens, and we get you know a lot of folks coming to you know us to say, hey, you know, I want to implement this data warehouse or this technology, this BI tool. Um, and we always sort of reframe the question immediately and say, well, what are you trying to do? You know, let me talk to the business folks to understand, you know, do you want to look at marketing ROI? Do you want to look at uh, customer acquisition costs? Do you want to look at, uh, you know, conversion rate and funnel analysis? Like what, what's kind of the, the business driver here and what, what, what is the business trying to achieve? So we always start from that business lens. Uh, first and foremost, um, you know, again, in my career, I've seen sort of the business team, uh, you know, deliver some requirements to an IT team. Uh, the IT team goes away for you know six months, builds something, comes back to the business, and the business says, "Hey, this isn't what I built. This isn't doing what I needed to do." Right? So something just gets lost in translation, like tra- lost in translation, a lot of times because the business folks don't completely understand the technology, and vice versa, the technology folks don't understand the business. Uh, and so that's really what we do at Dos Forty Two is bridge that gap, understand the business imperatives that customers are going through, and then work backwards to a technical solution. Um, but to answer your question, one of the one of the things that is really um, you know part of our philosophy and how we approach these projects is we think everyone within an organization needs to be able to ask and answer their own questions. So, for example, uh, marketers, right? They're not typically folks that know different programming languages, know a whole bunch about databases and other things like that. Uh, but you know what? They know a whole lot about marketing, right? And so, even if if I'm in the analytics team or an IT team, um, you know, I can sort of anticipate what they might want. But at the end of the day, it's really important to have those domain experts that know about, you know, marketing, for example, to be able to slice and dice their data, ask their own questions. Because what happens is, you know, if I just deliver a report to a marketing team, you know, they'll take a look at it. They'll be like, cool, this is great. I, I found some insights here. But now I have a whole bunch of other questions, right? So you want to keep that iterative process going where I can ask questions, get an answer back. That's going to be get more questions and more answers and so on and so forth. So one of the key pieces of, of the strategy that we employ with our clients is to create a self-service, uh, a governed self-service, uh, you know, sort of reporting interface that folks can you know, access very easily and ensure that it's trusted and standardized. So like I talked about before, kind of having that um, business definition really be the same across all different reports. So everyone's talking about the insights from data rather than whose numbers are right. That, that's also a common thing that we see. Yeah. And I think that we've seen a lot of that sort of process happening across the board in the industry. For instance, you know, marketers like having uh, page design tools, page builders, things like that. And the same when it comes to the marketing platforms that, you know, for email marketing and other things, they'd like to be able to do something on the fly without needing to have yeah. uh, their dev team involved and break into that workflow. And, you know, the same, there's platforms like Canva and all sorts of things where you can design up little things that they, they want to be able to do more with <laughs> with the skill set that they have, absolutely um, the tools that they have, and and so the more that we're all empowering that, I think as an industry, it's the dream. It's you know no more silos. Everyone can do everything. Um, there's I think some <laughs> you know, depending on the organization. Yeah, you know, sometimes you really do want some people that have certain expertise to be able to take things to another level. But trying to get yes. the baseline stuff, the the that quick report, I'm always amazed at how many businesses I run into that don't even have a really strong understanding of which products are driving um, their profits, their success, which are loss leaders, which are, are, you know, generating the sale where they're getting the upsells and cross sells. There's so much happening there that often um, doesn't get fully analyzed. And sometimes because they just don't have the right uh, the right data set in front of them or, or the right tools to break it down. Um, now, 
you know, I, I do see what, you know, so some of that core there comes down to having a unified data management platform, business intelligence, analytics, um, yep. you know, lots of, lots <laughs> of names for the platforms that people slice and dice their data with. But, you know, from your perspective, does everything need to wind up in one unified platform for analysis or um, are there certain pieces of data that should be on one side of the aisle, others on another for one reason or another? Yeah, I mean, the 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 sort of default answer that we operate from is, yes, everything should be in one place because, you know, as you said, right, you want to look at um, the full kind of life cycle of, you know, customer journeys and orders and other things like that. Right. And so, for example, you know, you want to understand, you know, from which channel did folks come to the website, obviously, and then, you know, what did they buy? And now you have to also think about, you know, like you said, profit margins, product attributes, you know, all the metadata associated with, uh, you know, categories and other things like that. Um, and then you also think about maybe shipments and cancellations and returns and other things like that. Right. And so all these different concepts like a return, like a marketing channel, they typically all live in different systems, right? They might live across a you know ERP finance system. Uh, you know, you might have a third party shipment, uh, you know, kind of um, provider or something like that. So it lives in the third party logistics provider. Uh, that the shipment data, the return data, maybe somewhere else. You know, the marketing channel is coming from AdWords or wherever it's coming from. So all this data lives in these silos, and to be able to really create this holistic picture of your business, you have to get it in one place. It just has to be, you know, from a technical perspective, you have to be able to join it together. And that kind of example that I was given before about Excel, like that's really what people are doing, right? They're, they're sort of centralizing the data in a spreadsheet, doing a VLOOKUP and, you know, combining that data together, you know, in database terminology, that's like more of a join, right? So we can create this in an automated fashion in a way that's very scalable um, and, you know, deliver a holistic picture of the, of the business and, and customers for, for our clients. Well, I mean, we're definitely now in the ramp up for the holiday shopping season and yeah. I'm always amazed at, you know, how hard it is for some folks to forecast, um, both for supply chain issues and I, I think above and beyond that for returns. Um, and especially if they're selling through additional challenge, uh, channels like Amazon, mm -hmm. where, you know, the, the cost to the merchant on some of those returns can really wipe out a, a lot, if not all the profit, depending on what category of products we're talking about and what kind of margins and and so that kind of forecasting, not knowing exactly, you know, what you can expect, like, you know, you might see sales in November, but until you finish, you know, tabulating all the returns and things in January, you don't even know right. what you're left with, um, that there's so many moving parts there as you continue to scale and work with additional sales channels and such. Do you find that there are reports that you typically find merchants aren't yet running, but should be could be easily once they get the data into one of these unified platforms. Yeah, it's a really good question. There's a couple of things that you know uh, that I think are are hallmarks of a mature organization. Let's say in terms of data and analytics, uh, when it comes to e-commerce and retail. Um, you know, certainly we just talked about the margin piece, right? Because a lot of times, folks when they're looking at like a customer acquisition cost or lifetime value type analysis. They're not including all the returns, the customer service costs, like a lot of the other costs. And a lot of times, to be honest, I mean, folks are just looking at gross merchandise kind of value, right? They're, they're actually just looking at a gross number and not thinking about, okay, you know, what is my actual sort of gross margin on this product? Then plus all the other things that it takes out of it, uh, like, like, like I said, um, customer service and returns and things like that. But that's, that's one. 
The other piece is, you know, cohort analysis. Um, so a lot of businesses that I've worked at, uh, both in, at Dust42 Consulting, but also sort of my time at Etsy and Jet, you know, looking at those repeat purchases uh, and being able to sort of really capture, um, you know, an audience, or sort of a diehard set of folks who are coming back and return, you know, and returning often to buy from your business. You know, it doesn't apply to every uh, company, depending on kind of what, what kind of category and, and mix you're, you're in. But a lot of companies like Etsy, for example, you know, uh, is typically a holiday type business. Sometimes people go to Etsy, buy holiday gifts, decorations, that kind of thing. Or they maybe come and buy wedding stuff if it, you know, it's wedding season. But obviously, Etsy wants to not just have a one time a year purchase around the holidays. They want to actually have repeat uh, purchases with, I don't know, things like, um, you know, common items that you might have, like leather goods, etc. So thinking about the category mix and looking at that cohort analysis to see, you know, who are your best uh, customers who are returning, who, who aren't returning, and then correlating that with, uh, you know, maybe first purchase uh, category or looking at time of year, like seasonality, as I just mentioned, or maybe marketing channel. So being able to come up with these different cohorts on the fly is super important. And that's quite challenging, uh, mostly from a technical level, but also thinking through it from a business perspective is, is very important. So. Fantastic. Well, somewhere in there, I had a joke about people and leather goods, and but I, I, it's a family friendly <laughs> podcast, so I'll, I'll skip over that. <laughs> well, so I was literally just it was on the top of my head because I was actually talking with some friends who I used to work with at Etsy the other day, and I was saying, "Hey, yeah, you know, I, I wanted to get a new belt," and so I searched online, uh, you know, it was just a Google search for a belt, and Etsy came up, and we were kind of talking about how well they're doing around like product listing ads and other things like that. Absolutely. Um, one of the things that my uh, my friend mentioned is sort of like masks were a really big category uh, last year. Um, and now, obviously, that's kind of rotating out. Um, but they have been able to convert a lot of folks who came to Etsy for handmade masks, you know, convert them over into, um, you know, more other categories and things like that, which I think is pretty cool and exciting to think about. Certainly, you know, relevant to a lot of folks uh, during the pandemic and, and e-commerce businesses. Yeah, I, mean, I think e-commerce in general, that there are so many categories where, you know, they they've been able to retain shoppers in one way or another um, that weren't otherwise shopping online for certain goods. But, yeah. uh, you know, once you have a customer, once they're following you on social, once, you know, you're you've got them on an email list, uh, you know, you can you have that uh, retention rate. You have yep. that customer lifetime value to keep working towards. So, yeah. And that's the thing that, you know, we, we work a lot of, with a lot of customers at DOS 42 around you know, marketing attribution, right? And of course, like, you know, you have this idea of sort of last touch, first touch, multi-touch attribution models, um, you know, and, and to your point, right? Like you want to be able to understand all the different touch points that go into a sale for a customer across all those different channels. You mentioned like social, you mentioned email, of course, there's probably like organic search. In my example of looking for that belt, you know, I went through a product listing ad on, on Google, uh, Google uh, search. So all these different touch points, you know, create that, you know, loyalty and that sort of repeat purchase. And then, like I said, just having a diverse category mix. But, you know, it really comes from, again, having that data to be able to, you know, just ask and answer these questions in a very iterative fashion. Like, okay, what are people buying last year in 2020? Okay, it's masks. How many of those folks that bought a mask in 2020 are coming back and then analyzing, <clears throat> excuse me, which categories are, are they buying, right? You know, is it, is it, you know, it can't be masks anymore. Or it probably isn't masks. So what else is it, you know? And so how can we start to explain that um, and come up with different hypotheses. But, you know, again, it has to be somebody that knows about the business enough to be able to ask the right questions and really dive in there. It can't just be, you know, the IT team or a central analytics team to kind of figure that out because we're just not going to have the, the business context that folks who are on the front lines really have. Yeah. I wonder, 
you know, I, I'm always surprised by some of the stories that come up in the industry. You know, it sounds like by the time that you're done getting someone someone's data all you know, nice and clean and orderly. Uh, sometimes they're surprised by what they see. Have you run into clients that have been really surprised by their actual profit margins or other stats because whatever they had thought, you know, you turned it upside down? Yeah, I mean, this is this is a, this is something that's quite common is that, you know, when you talk about a self-service model, right, you know, we're getting data to everyone in the business. But everyone has a different level of kind of data literacy, as we like to say, right? So there is a pretty big change management component that we always uh, do with our clients and that I've learned. And with any new tool, like, you know, BI tool or or new uh, data tool, uh, you really only have one chance to get a first impression correct, right? And if somebody, you know, uh, logs into a a brand new BI tool, it's supposed to save them all this time and be automated. They log in and they see something that they don't understand, that they don't... um, that they think is wrong, you know, they're going to blame the tool and you kind of have lost that person now for, for a long time. So, you know, to your question about, about, you know, sort of folks understanding the data, you know, there's a whole set of data governance initiatives that we typically uh, work with our clients to implement that help you understand what data is available to you, um, understanding the context of this data. So what the business definition is, so not necessarily looking at rows and columns, but like customers, order shipments, like business concepts. Um, and yeah, a lot of times, what we find is that the definition that somebody might have been using previously is now different and changed because we, we we take a look at and when we go into a business, we look at all their KPIs. We understand kind of what the def- different definitions of those KPIs are. And a lot of times we iterate on that definition because we say, OK, have you really thought about, like you said, returns? Have you thought about, I don't know, taxes and shipping and other things like that? So like, how do we actually define you know, gross merchandise value or something like that? Um, and we have to be quite precise with our with our definitions, and that all you know will will sometimes surprise folks because you know now we're starting to think a little bit more in a nuanced way about about our KPIs than saying just hey it's GMV it's the dollar amount that we sold right. <laughs> Absolutely, I yeah, I'm always blown away um, by you know how some of that goes, and you know sometimes it becomes important when you're looking at bringing in if you get to the point that you want investors or that you want to yeah. be acquired, um, you have to follow standard definitions. <laughs> yeah, um, you're going to have to reformulate your bookkeeping around it anyway. We had a recent podcast episode on on the top of uh, acquisitions, and that's one of mm. the most common challenges is just you know following uh, the right process so that you can be properly evaluated because you know. No one wants to be, in, you know, gets just so far into the acquisition process and then find out that the numbers are going to rework and it's all going to fall apart. Um, yeah. As, as somebody who went through a, a growth equity financing earlier this year uh, at DOS 42, you know, we, we had a lot of different requests for metrics. And, you know, to your point, you know, everyone needs to be on the same page about what these metrics mean, how we're defining them. Um, and, and understand the different nuances, you know, because, you know, even if we talk about something like revenue, there's sort of an accounting definition of revenue. Sometimes there's a more business definition. And that's the other piece, too, is that we see with some of these data governance initiatives is really understanding, you know, that there probably are um, valid ways to look at a KPI slightly differently, depending on sort of your lens. And so that's the other piece is sort of curating the experience for individual teams. So the, the you know, it, like in the BI tool, for example, we might customize the experience for a marketing team versus the sales team. So that the sales team isn't seeing a whole bunch of stuff that's not relevant to them or confusing to them or slightly different from what they expect. Um, but again, it needs to be really documented. It needs to be transparent around what what's going on 
So that way it's not a black box and, and people don't get confused. But you know, to your point, the definitions is super critical. Uh, and we find that that's a big part of the consulting work that we do is helping people understand their definitions and you know, really standardize them across teams and, and help them document it so that, that it's understood by everyone. Yeah, I know. A couple of minutes ago, you mentioned data governance. And yeah. that, for me, I, my head started going toward um, data privacy. Uh, yeah. That's certainly been a big topic and continues to be uh, and will be for the foreseeable future. <laughs> As all this data gets pulled in into you know, one unified place, is it best to anonymize it? Or you know, do, is it otherwise going to fall under a lot of um, data privacy and other regulation? Yeah. So first off, let me just say I'm not a lawyer, <laughs> so, but but so I'm not giving legal advice. But you know, to your point, there, there I'm are... going to cut that not word in in post. We're going to make sure that we <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. Um, you know, but but obviously, you know, we work with a very a number of very large you know public clients, global clients that are subject to lots of different regulations. Um, you know, certainly yes, we want to make sure that um, we understand who should have access to what data. So like at a public company, for example, even like revenue data and sort of forward looking information uh, is typically, you know, sequestered to a certain number of folks, um, you know, and, and, you know, uh, it's a little bit more complex than just saying anonymize everything in the data warehouse um, because, you know, that sounds great in theory, but now you're talking about uh, to, to a marketing team, for example, that wants to create personalized emails based on purchase behavior, right? So we need to have, these emails and other things. I mean, maybe it's like mail, you're going to do a direct mail campaign, that kind of stuff. So we have to have this data. If the customer gives us this data um, in a way that is, you know, subject to all the different things that you need to be subject to and you do it the right way, um, you need to be able to use that data. So there's different technical methods that we use and different tools and technologies out there to be able to anonymize the data on one, you know, on the way in. And then if we need to get the data out, uh, we can de-anonymize that data and send it to a marketing activation platform. Um, you know, but that's but that's obviously super critical. Uh, and and there's you know a lot of things around you know, metadata management. So in other words, knowing where your PII data is and um, knowing what types of PII data you collect. A lot of customers that we work with don't necessarily know that, and they haven't had it uh, haven't had it tagged yet. Um, so you know, it, it's it's a it's a big you know challenge and something that's really on the top of mind with a lot of folks, as you I think alluded to. Um, first party data is becoming more and more critical, you know, as, as kind of cookies and, and third party, uh, sort of tracking and, uh, different, you know, different, uh, sort of changes in the, in the, in the ecosystem are, are happening. Uh, it's really critical to have that first party data and be able to leverage it. Uh, it's really become much more of an asset now than it has in the past. Absolutely. Well, you know, now that we've touched on, uh, on legal matters, I, th- I think we've covered all the, you know, all the important checkboxes, right? I mean, you know, the- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Uh, um, before we wrap it up, Nick, any final thoughts? Anything that uh, that we skipped over, or any uh, anything <laughs> in your crystal ball uh, <laughs> as we head into 2022? No, I mean, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not a big pr- pr- uh, prognosticator. I mean, I think wh- one of the things that I'll say to kind of wrap it up is, you know, the, these initiatives uh, around data analytics don't need to boil the ocean, right? It's just really important to get started and to have. You know, a thoughtful plan around how how to go um, about implementing these type of programs. Uh, so, you know, again, I don't want to scare folks out there by saying this is this is too difficult because it's it's not. It could it could really start um, small, and you know, even just kind of making sure your Google Analytics is set up correctly, and, and a lot of things like that are basics, right? Um, so, it's important to get started, and it's important to start early. Um, I think that's the other piece that we see a lot of customers 
uh, come to us when uh, they felt the pain uh, already, and then they're kind of in a jam. Uh, so I would I would encourage everyone out there to 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 get started early, uh, start thinking about data and analytics and how it can impact their business uh, early and, and often. So uh, and of course we're always happy to help here at Das Forty Two. So awesome. Well, Nick, thank you again for your time today. This was fantastic. Um, we hope to have you on again sometime in in the future to uh, see what's new in the data world because it's evolving fast. Um, but uh, in the meantime, to our listeners and viewers, as always, thanks for tuning in. Stay safe, stay healthy, and happy selling out there. Thanks for listening to the JetRails podcast. You can subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. We also post full videos of most episodes on the JetRails YouTube and Facebook channels. You can find links at jetrails.com forward slash podcast. Have questions about an episode? Is there a topic you'd like us to cover in the future? We're at JetRails on LinkedIn and Twitter. Do you want to sponsor this podcast? Sorry, but we're committed to ad-free listening. We are, however, always looking for guests that our listeners will benefit from. And don't forget to like the podcast on whatever platform you're tuning in from. It's a small ask, but it's a big help. We appreciate it, and more importantly, we appreciate you.